What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Welcome to the show folks, thanks for tuning in, if you did miss last week's episode you can of course go back and check it out on demand at Blog Talk Radio or at lordspain.net or indeed wherever it is you may download your podcasts from. It was of course part one of my real-time watch-along with the four matches that I describe as the Tetralogy of WrestleMania. The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania kick-started what would become a four-year arc for his character and for the two characters that he would compete against. First, Shawn Michaels, second, Triple H. And last week, of course, we sat down, we watched end-to-end the first and second Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels matches and looked at how the two mirror each other, how one leads onto the other, how that character arc for Shawn evolved over the course of the two matches, how the character arc for The Undertaker evolved over the course of the two matches. And this week, we're going to follow it up, of course, with part two, where I look at the two Triple H versus Undertaker matches at WrestleMania's 27 and 28 and this is really where the story properly starts to kick into overdrive as last week what i'm going to do is we're going to sit down we're going to watch the first one uh together uh, and then when that's said and done we'll take a quick advert break then we'll come back and we'll do the second one straight afterwards though of course just as before you know i'm going to try and record this show in a way that you can digest it you know in more than one sitting because these are very very long matches especially when you start to add on all of the window dressing i mean that the the hell in the cell even has its own entrance theme at wrestlemania 28 for example so there's a lot to get through uh, and i guess there's no more point in me beating about the bush now uh, just like last time uh, the pre-match hype packages have a part to play in the story as much as anything else does and so <clears throat> just like uh, last week, what I've done is I've sat and watched that uh, that pre-match hype package already, and uh, will just briefly now tell you my thoughts on it. And then when I've done that, I will pause the show. You could go away watch it yourself. Uh, then uh, come back. Uh, I'll tell you the time index to stop on, which I'm currently sat on the network at two hours, eighteen minutes, and fifty-two seconds of WrestleMania twenty-seven. So that's the time index you want to get queued up when you've watched the pre-match hype package, uh, and then come back, start the show up again, and I will count us down into the match itself. But when you do come to uh, watch this this video, this hype video, the first thing to bear in mind here, you know, I describe the Shawn Michaels matches as you know, wrestling high fantasy, this idea that you had the streak as an augmenting power for The Undertaker, and indeed you had the notion, the mindset of Mr. WrestleMania as an augmenting power for Shawn Michaels. Well, if those were wrestling high fantasy, certainly the two Triple H matches, particularly this WrestleMania 27 one, kind of leans even further into that, but tonally is extremely different. Uh, the comparison that I would draw would be to say if the two Shawn Michaels matches were Lord of the Rings, then the two Triple H matches are Game of Thrones. That's their their grittier, earthier, bloodier. Uh, not not on a literal level, but but in their in their sort of their tone and their intention, they're bloodier. And 
first of all, the the video starts off. You get a, a highlight of the silent, the infamous silent promo that they cut on uh, Monday Night Raw when the two return from prolonged absences from the preceding spring, and immediately you see the hubris of the Undertaker come into play. Triple H sort of looks up at the WrestleMania sign, and the Undertaker at this point, he's not only beaten Mr. WrestleMania in the in the match of his life at WrestleMania 25, he then retired Mr. WrestleMania the, the following year as well, and we saw across the course of those two matches his confidence in the streak and its, and its abilities grow because his confidence at WrestleMania 25 turned into absolute certainty at WrestleMania 26. Discussed all that last week. Here, that certainty has grown into hubris. He quite literally laughs off Triple H's challenge with a smirk. It has become hubristic. It has become arrogance. He has vanquished Mr. WrestleMania. What hope does this this does this guy, this guy who doesn't even have anything comparable to the streak to support him, what chance could he possibly have? So he laughs it off and then he and then he accepts the challenge with a with the the the, the signature taunt of cutting his throat open um and and essentially isn't so much accepting Triple H's challenge here as he is sentencing Triple H to the death he apparently is chasing. The Undertaker, this is a hubristic Undertaker, and it's worth remembering that the whole way through because the entire story that unfolds in the match is essentially a humbling. And Triple H's response to that is to tell The Undertaker to suck it. Uh, and it's worth remembering that on the video package, as the lyric, I can hear what you're thinking, all your doubts and fears, plays over the images, that's when you see Triple H emerge. Because Triple H is the cerebral assassin, and you'll never see him more the cerebral assassin than you do in this match. He tells the Undertaker after the, the, the throat cut to suck it, because there is no reverence from Triple H. You know, he doesn't hold the streak in reverence. He doesn't have respect for the Undertaker, he's there to put the Undertaker out of his misery, which is a, a tone that they very actively struck in the promos that they cut with each other on Raws and SmackDowns leading up to the match. This is no, no, there is no augmentation in play here. This is the reason why Triple H, unbeknownst to the Undertaker, is so well positioned to take out the streak isn't because he has some special mindset or some special otherworldly power. It's because, quite the opposite, he's less than human. If The Undertaker is in a position to succeed because of the streak making him more than human, Triple H is in a position because of his absence of conscience and his bloodthirst for the accruement of power that has defined his entire story as a character makes him less than human. And that's the story that we're going to see play out. Tremendous contrast in this, which is one of my favourite matches of all time, frankly. And then the video sort of plays out with a line where Triple H says, you have only one thing left and it's the streak and it, when it dies, you die. And if I can't end it, I'll die trying. And it's worth remembering that line as we go through the match. So go away, watch that video package with all these ideas in mind, and uh, indeed, if you have any anything else to bring to the table, if you catch anything that I haven't caught, then feel free to let your thoughts be known to me, and I'll plug the means by which you can do that at the end of the show, as I always do. Once you've watched that hype video package, cue your, your video on the network up to 2 hours, 18 minutes and 52 seconds. Come back, press play, and I'll count this down into the match.
Okay. Okay. So, two hours, 18 minutes, 52 seconds, all queued up. I'll hit play on the word go. Five, four, three, two, one, and go. Okay, so I just wanted to pause there to let Justin Roberts give his introduction. The first thing that you need to be aware is the war has already started. This is Triple H's entrance. The lights have gone out and the gong is playing. On any other night, that would have been The Undertaker. Instead, it's Triple H. It's also worth remembering here, and I'm going to be talking quite quick because it happens quite quick, that the the music that's playing on the video on the network isn't the music that was playing on the night. The music that played on the night was Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls. For Whom the Bell Tolls. This is a psychological message being sent to The Undertaker, who so often uses his entrance, as indeed he did with Shawn Michaels. This is a message to The Undertaker, a statement of intention. This is Triple H telling The Undertaker, the bell is tolling for you. I'm coming to wipe you off the face of the earth. So bear in mind that this, again, the music on the network, work isn't the music that played originally on the night it's important for the undertaker's entrance as well what's more is you know the blackout the lights coming up the gong you have triple h using the undertaker's own mechanisms of psychological warfare against him this match triple h hasn't even emerged yet and already this war started because now as well you see these this array of knights these warriors that obviously plays to triple h's status as the king of kings but is in and of itself a perversion of another one of the undertaker's mechanisms of psychological warfare namely the druids these aren't druids welcoming an executioner these are soldiers welcoming a king of kings to a a, a cascade of of visuals and a cascade of sounds that usually come hand in hand are now completely indicative of the undertaker himself triple h turning the undertaker's own game against him and then indeed you get the another blackout, no doubt Triple H is currently sort of disrobing and getting rid, and then the music plays, it's time to play the game. I mean, a clearer psychological statement could not have been made to The Undertaker from the very beginning of, not even the match, like I said, the bell hasn't even rung yet, and we're already in the territory of warfare. Okay, Triple H making his way to the ring. That's basically all I have to say about Triple H's entrances. But it's, you know, a lot of people will talk about entrances and entrance music. I see it banded around a lot, particularly with run-ins and and people kind of not liking the fact entrance music plays out. How could someone possibly have queued up entrance music? Well, with performance art, entrance themes and these kind of musical choices in these entrances and the productions of these entrances are all part of the fiction. And I've always seen entrance music as being, you know, a little bit like TV shows having motifs, musical motifs for specific characters. You think about a show like Game of Thrones, you know, when, when a Stark turns up on screen, the Stark music plays. You think about, you know... Uh, uh, films like Star Wars and the Imperial March, when Darth Vader appears, the Imperial March plays. You know, they're, they're musical motifs indicative of the character. They're so important. That's why it's so important to have music that plays into the nature of your character as well. And indeed, you know, Motorhead's The Game plays very much into 
Triple H's character, as we know. And more importantly, you know, when you get these special entrances at WrestleMania, like we just saw, try to think of them as part of the storytelling. Try to think of them as part of this grand fiction. I did a show not long ago about WrestleMania 31 and Sting's entrance and how it was like a vigilante walking into the throne room of a king he was seeking to dethrone. You know, the, like I said, this match in particular, this is performance art mastery at its finest because the entrances actively play into the story that's unfolding. We've already heard Triple H's intentions in the pre-match hype video package. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna kill the street because when it dies, you die. And he's already, as the cerebral assassin, trying to outdo The Undertaker at The Undertaker's own game. Like I said, you know, The Undertaker uses his entrances as a means to intimidate his opponent and try and win the match before he's even made it to the ring. And in some instances, it works, like with Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania 31. In some instances, it doesn't to the chagrin, to the ultimate demise of the performer underestimating him, like Shawn Michaels at 25 and 26. Here, with Triple H, sometimes doesn't mean anything because the the opponent, the so-called victim, in inverted commas, has turned it on its head and used it against the Undertaker himself, as Triple H has done. The next thing to bear in mind here is, you know, think about the juxtaposition between Triple H's demeanor here and Shawn Michaels' demeanor while he waited for The Undertaker's entrance at WrestleMania's 25 and 26. First of all, the fact that The Undertaker has left a gap and not immediately interrupted the music like he did in previous occasions is indicative of The Undertaker's own mindset heading into this. Again, you've had uh, confidence grow to certainty grow here into vanity, into hubris, and we're going to see that unfold again. But also think about the just a position and what it means for Triple H. Shawn stood stoic, still as stone, absolutely laser focused. Triple H he's contemptuous as well as The Undertaker is. He's passing off The Undertaker. You have two entities who genuinely believe the opposing entity doesn't know what they're in for here. Triple H is he sort of surveyed the crowd as if feeling sorry for them. As if knowing that everybody around him is in for something they're not expecting because he knows that his absence of conscience that makes him less than human trumps The Undertaker's augmenting streak that makes him more than human. Now, The Undertaker obviously making his own entrance here. Two things to note. First of all, the theme music. Again, on the network video, it's the usual death march. On the night, it was Johnny Cash's Ain't No Grave. And that's important because The Undertaker was responding to Triple H's own message. Triple H sent the message to the bell is tolling for you well the undertaker's responding in kind by saying there's no grave that can hold me down you have two huge entities locked in psychological warfare before the bell has even rung i love this match man i love it and the second thing to note so you've got that you know that first of all imagine this playing out with johnny cash's ain't no grave gonna hold me down the second note is, Triple H came out, he had the gong, the knights, the whole kind of regalia of an Undertaker entrance perverted. Here, the Undertaker doesn't do anything. You know, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't rise from the ground like he did for Sean at WrestleMania 25. He isn't dressed like an executioner as he did for Sean at WrestleMania 26. Again, you have that confidence growing to certainty, growing here to hubris. He strips himself of the usual Undertaker regalia of an entrance, just does the standard thing with the exception of that psychological message. Because he, again, thinks Triple H, this is ridiculous. You know, this is beneath him. This is, Triple H doesn't stand a chance against the streak because the streak overcame Mr. WrestleMania himself. There is nothing on this earth that is capable 
of threatening the streak, and that's how the Undertaker feels. That vanity imbues every element of his of his game plan with this match, every element of his decision making in this match, even when it starts to get away from him, which we will see as the match progresses. The Undertaker remains hubristic to the last. He refuses to accept the idea that Triple H is potentially the individual who can end the streak in all its glory. And we're going to see, I've said in the past, actually, that the streak ended on this night. Even though it didn't end on this night, it ended on this night. And we'll see why as we go on, because again, you know, the stuff that happens post-match is as important as the stuff that has already happened pre-match. And I've tried to show you already how important the stuff that has happened pre-match really you know, really is because you you have. I mean, they haven't exchanged a move yet, but these two are already in the midst of a war that goes beyond most wrestling matches that we've already seen. This is wrestling. This as performance art at its highest level. Now, look here. Watch that image there. Look, the Undertaker. Usually, when the Undertaker stood in the ring, the opponent is still a stone. He just stands almost awe-inspired. But the Triple H is circling him. He's circling him like Brock Lesnar circles prey on the outside of the ring. Triple H isn't intimidated. He doesn't care. This is Triple H telling The Undertaker to suck it again. All of the usual Undertaker regalia means nothing to him. And the sad irony of this situation is the one night when The Undertaker needed to lean heaviest on the usual theatrics is the one night because of his hubris that has been bred by the preceding two matches... It's the one night that Hubris tells him he doesn't need to bother. Now look at the positioning of them in the ring as well. I told you to note this in the preceding two matches where The Undertaker was on the left and Shawn Michaels was on the right. The Undertaker very much the 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 kind of the the individual that would prove to be the superior force. Here, that image is inverted. It's switched. Triple H has adopted the position that The Undertaker is usually in. He's adopted the position The Undertaker was in the last two matches at WrestleMania against Shawn Michaels, and that's important because it is, little do we know, foreshadowing about what's about to happen. It's a little wink of the authors to the audience as to what's happening. Now look at this. Immediately, Triple H out of the gates. No toing or throwing. No dodging or diving. No chops to the chest. There's no gamesmanship here. There's no wrestling here. Triple H comes right out of the gate, blasting The Undertaker with, and I use this term deliberately, sledgehammer-like blows. And The Undertaker swings and misses, swings and misses, swings and misses, but responds quickly by throwing Triple H out of the ring just to gain space. That wasn't a statement of intention. That was The Undertaker trying to gain some distance between the two of them because of this onslaught that he didn't expect. And the onslaught is still coming, look. It's still coming. The Undertaker's already wailing and breathing heavily. And Triple H with another hard right to the jaw here. And again, The Undertaker has to resort to desperate means. Again, not as a statement of intention like against Shawn Michaels, not just because you're operating in the heightened sphere, just to gain a breather, just to gain some distance from Triple H. Triple H, you know, to be fair to the Undertaker here, Triple H is feeling that the pinch on that, he's feeling the zing on that. But be under no mistake that the Undertaker is already fighting to survive rather than fighting to kill. And Triple H again, look, there's absolutely no desire here to beat about the bush. Triple H isn't here to posture. He isn't here to prove a point like Sean was last year at WrestleMania 26. Nor is he here for achievement's sake like Sean was at WrestleMania 25. Triple H is here for one reason, that is to kill the streak, because killing the streak gives him more power, and that is what informs Triple H. And Triple H power 
how it is, pal. Look at how indignant The Undertaker is. He's pissed. He's angry. And Triple H is telling him to bring it. He's beckoning him on. Triple H is the one making the statements of intention here. And The Undertaker is the one who's having to try and readjust, having to try and figure out how the hell do I combat that. And he immediately comes back. More hard rights to the jaw. More hard rights. He just he, he just goes, he plows straight forwards again because of that hubris hubristic mindset you know the undertaker has gone into this with the notion triple h doesn't stand the chance and within the first five minutes the undertaker has been assailed by the by the 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 completely undeniable truth that actually triple h isn't Shawn michaels triple h is another beast entirely yes he's here to heal the streak but he's deadly serious about the use of the word kill but it's a testament to the powers of the streak, to the augmenting nature of that elusive idea that possesses the Undertaker on this one night a year that he's been able to survive. But again, look, the Undertaker is, is able to get that momentary advantage, but Triple H, almost contemptuous again of the Undertaker himself, well, maybe contemptuous is the wrong word, I dare say dismissive, literally pulls the Undertaker off of the, the, the pedestal he's perched on. I mean, if that's not a symbolic moment, especially when it comes to the case of I'm going to deny old school. I mean, that's that's a moment in which Triple H literally undercuts the established status quo, as indeed is his mission here in ending the streak. And it feeds into that wider narrative again, that greater narrative that The Undertaker actually may be out of his depth, that even when empowered by the nature of the streak... I mean, look at that, just the visuals. And this is another element to this match that I'm going to try and, try and talk about. I'm, I'm going a million miles an hour here because there's just so much in every little minute of this masterpiece to dissect. But just the nate, the aesthetic of it. Again, you're, you're operating in that heightened sphere of, of Sean versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 and 26. But it adds something else here. It, it feeds into a different subtext as well, which is this idea of a fight for survival. By heightening the aesthetic, you know, the Undertaker lunges into that barrier. By heightening that aesthetic, you heighten the the sense of jeopardy in the match itself. You heighten the sense of this being, you know, this is the the battle for Helm's Deep. This is the this is the the battle of the dawn in the upcoming season of Game of Thrones, the war between the living and the dead. And I use those comparisons to demonstrate, you know, this is the final hour. This is the match upon which everything rides. This is the battle that decides the future. That's the kind of jeopardy that you're fighting with here uh, because of that heightened aesthetic. And again, you get that real sense of jeopardy as they battle it out on top of the table. And The Undertaker, again, in a moment to try and just survive, to try and gain distance from this onslaught, to try and just just force back this tide of, of, of aggressiveness from Triple H, is able to counter Triple H and drop him onto the, the outside floor. And already, I mean, one of the another wonderful element to this match is the imagery of Triple H, who is this kind of uh, barbarian figure, this king of kings. Um, you know, he's already clutching the arm. He's going to show the scars of this battle as it goes on. So if you envision this, as I said, as, you know, the zero hour, as, as well, not zero, hour, but the nth hour, as, as one minute to midnight for the Undertaker in reference to the, doom, the, the uh, Doomsday Clock as a battle for survival um, and as for Triple H taking on this, this almighty power with everything that he has, you know, and he's already just minutes in, already 
you know, licking his wounds already, bearing the scars of that fight, clutching his arm there. Um, and look at The Undertaker. I mean, we're not even 10 minutes deep into this, and The Undertaker is already struggling to his knees. Now, one of the criticisms a lot of sports entertainment-minded fans, a lot of traditionally-minded pro wrestling fans have, is the pace of this match being so slow. But the reason for that is because, I mean, you've just seen the first five minutes is very, very fast-paced, very in-your-face. They lay out their stall early, and of course that's going to leave impact. The, the 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 jeopardy in this match that a large part of this match's uh, effect the reason why it's so effective is because it tells the story of an undertaker who is essentially out of his depth battling for survival and in order to really maximize the the drama of that story you have to put the undertaker in a position for the most part where he looks like he's battling from the knees up and it, the best way to do that is to grind the pace down, to slow the pace down, especially when it gets to the point that Triple H is licking his wounds and bearing his scars as well. Now, you just saw there the hark back to the uh, Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 25 swan dive that got uh, intentionally curtailed for dramatic sensibility at WrestleMania 26. At WrestleMania 27, they pull it out, but note the fact it's on the opposite side of the ring. You've literally inverted the image. Essentially what you have in this WrestleMania 27 match is a darkly symmetrical version of the WrestleMania 25 match. What you have is a mirror image of the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania, except for the mirror is cracked. That's what this match is, and the fact that you get the swan dive spot, the famous swan dive spot where The Undertaker almost undershoots again, in fact, but that it happens on the opposite side of the ring, you know, is just a nice little bit of visual symmetry and visual symbolism there. And again, bear in mind, I'm not saying this is all done deliberately. Just the artistic, uh, artistic, uh, I'm losing my usual catchphrases here in my excitement of this match, but the artistic achievement is secondary to authorial intent. This match, is again, is just the absolute perfect example of performance art. You could probably tell from how excitably I'm talking about it that I do really, really love, 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 love this match. And again, you know, The Undertaker now, he's gained an advantage, but he's done it at great physical cost. The streak has propelled him on again. You know, the power of the streak has propelled him beyond normal. In, in, on any other night, we may have already seen Triple H win this match, but this is the Undertaker as the streak uh, as the streak informs his capabilities. Um, and as he was going to to put the Triple H away there through a tombstone on the steps, and again counter from Triple H right through the table. I mean, the other element to this is there's a no disqualifications match. It's wonderfully fluid. It's it's really well worked in a, in a more traditional sense as, from a genre perspective. But in, in terms of the fantastical narrative we're seeing in play here, what you just saw there was again, even when empowered by the streak, the Undertaker's advantages are only momentary. That hubristic that hubristic mindset that he had is being peeled away layer by layer, minute by minute, counter by counter by Triple H. And note again, as escalated a sphere of competition we were operating in with the two Shawn Michaels matches, that's taken up another level in this instance with the no disqualification stipulation. This is a story now for The Undertaker that is getting wildly out of control. His arrogance 
is getting out of control in concordance with that. And so the action is escalating in line with the Undertaker's own uh, kind of, of arrogance. And what you're seeing in this match is a test. It's, it's Ozymandias. You know, it's this idea that the Undertaker has built this incredible accomplishment that he now thinks makes him superior to everybody else. And in actual fact, what he's in danger of finding with this Triple H match here is that in front of him just stretches desert and ruins. And you'll find a lot of this is being talked about by JR, incidentally, on um, on commentary. But obviously, I'm having to talk over that. So it may always be worth going back, revisiting that, uh, revisiting this match. And, and again, paying particular attention to the commentary t- that track that just by nature I have to talk over. Um, now, there is yet another element to this match that I discussed uh, in the column version and the book review of uh, of it, of its entry in my 101 series slash book, uh, which is that, you know, if you think Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat wrote the wrote the book on how to do a WWE-style match for WrestleMania 3, well, these two men is essentially just saying, no, nah, we're not talking in that language. They throw the book out the window, and they, a bit like how A Clockwork Orange is written in its own language, they wrestle in their own language. You know, there's no messing around here. We haven't seen the usual kind of competitive toing and froing that you would see in a WWE-style match. It's been a fight to begin with, a brawl. They've They've paid credence to the no DQ stipulation now we're immediately moving into trademarks and finishes for a match that has all this window dressing around it when you get down to the nitty gritty what's amazing is they've actually stripped away everything uh, in terms of content of the match and just left the bare bones necessary for drama I mean, in a, in a way, this is the most indulgent postmodern match you're going to find in WWE today in terms of operating in false finish and finishes. But it works because of the nature of the two matches that prologued it, and it works because of the nature of the fantasy at the heart of the fiction. And here again, you're getting deliberate deliberate homages back to you know the two Shawn Michaels uh, Undertaker matches there as the as Triple H actually counters the last ride. The Undertaker counters the counter. He goes. What we think for is a tombstone, uses snake eyes, and again, the advantage is momentary. Even when compelled by the streak, the Undertaker is able only to gain a momentary blinkered advantage over Triple H, who continues to have answers to questions the Undertaker thought were rhetorical, but turns out are open-ended. And again, you know, what's going to be difficult about commenting on this match is that the pauses in the action are going to get longer and longer and longer. And the reason for that, you know, again, a lot of people will criticize the match for it. The reason for it is because of the the just the, the heightened sphere and the aesthetic of this thing that I hope is becoming clear as I've talked our way through this. And uh, the body language, Triple H, she just chucks the chair, he's pissed off. And you get this is where Triple H's arc begins to form. This is where the real story of this match now starts to emerge. And for Triple H's perspective, you're going to see him hit the Undertaker. Oh, maybe not yet. That's going to come in a little while. But what you're going to see as this match progresses, you're going to see Triple H come to fear what he's capable of. At the same time, the Undertaker comes to fear he's not as capable of what he thought he was capable of. So you get this wonderfully kind of. Uh, sort of parallel story running in opposite directions. Triple H has to wrestle with the fact he's going to be capable of more than he thought he was, and that frightens him. And The Undertaker's going to have to wrestle with the fact he's not as capable of what he thought he was capable of, and that's going to frighten him. 
And we're going to see that evolve now in the as sort of as we reach the second half of this epic confrontation. And the Undertaker now begins. I mean, the Undertaker came into this hubristic, and he's getting desperate. You know, he thought the streak was perfectly capable of beating Triple H, and now look at him. He's using a steel chair to try and even the odds. And again, even now, the advantage is momentary. Triple H with the pedigree, and the Undertaker is able to kick out. And Triple H, that's a moment of exhaustion for Triple H there. Little more than exhaustion. Not frustration, not anger, nothing like that, but exhaustion. And this is where he starts, the cogs start to wear, and he's going to start to have to wrestle with what he's going to have to do to put The Undertaker out, to really do what he said he was going to do, to kill the streak. And as we see this progress, we're going to see it really turn into a killing, really turn into a murder. The anguished look on Triple H's face there. I'm trying to try not to talk over everything because Triple H is going to start talking during the match. And it's important to hear that. But the anguished expression on Triple H's face is as a result of him now beginning to wrestle with what he's going to have to do to end this. Which, as bloodthirsty and as cold as he's been, really is something that perhaps, perhaps he doesn't want to do. Perhaps he doesn't want to do. This, interestingly, to me, marks the beginning of the turn in Triple H that would lead to his heel turn and the birth of the authority years later, but that's a story for another time. The Undertaker finally lasts the last ride, but it doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the zeal that it did against Shawn Michaels, and Triple H kicks out. And now, look, The Undertaker beginning to panic, beginning to panic. Look, When was the last time you, look, you saw The Undertaker look at the referee after a two-count, like he just did then? The Undertaker is in new territory. The one night of the year when he's capable of uh, impossible feats, even by his own remarkable standard, now he's starting to struggle. I mean, what does that do to a man? This is a crisis of faith for the dead man. Sneer on his face there as he looks down at Triple H. You get the impression that this is insecurity from The Undertaker, that this is him telling himself, nah, nah, I was right. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. But that he's trying to convince himself more than he is anyone else. As he signals now for the tombstone, going slowly because the energy has been beaten out of him already by this war, dragging Triple H limply to his feet, picks him up. There's, There's no fight back from Triple H in that. That is as emphatic a tombstone as you are ever going to see in your life. The certainty of victory assured by his signature taunt. And look at that. First panic, then anger, then exasperation. These are the stages of denial for The Undertaker. That image, by the way... Very important to note that The Undertaker did the taunt after the tombstone. Because that image is is so familiar and is that's only effective because there it deliberately perverts what we're used to seeing. And this entire match is a perversion of what we normally see from The Undertaker. That's important. The Undertaker grabs the chair. He, the cogs are worried for him. He's trying to figure out what to do. Grabs the chair in an unsure fashion. Throws it down. He's petulant. He's in the territory of a tantruming child here. And again, he goes to... He's, he's, and the other thing is, he's out of ideas, look. He's basically going to do the same thing again, but on a steel chair. The Undertaker, even when augmented by the streak, has met a dead end. 
He's having to now come to terms with the reality that he's out of his depth, that he's even with the streak, he's in a position that he cannot overcome. And the Undertaker, Triple H again, even now with the tombstone, the moment the the advantage is passing, it's fleeting, it's momentary. This isn't a tug of war turning turning to his advantage. This is the Undertaker having to climb a mountain that he thought was a molehill. And again, you're getting these longer durations, the two of them down, playing beautifully into, you know, in itself, in itself, these moments of stillness are actually moments of action that are contributing to the subtext of the story. It's a remarkable achievement, it really is, for the two of them to literally be telling a wrestling story without doing anything. In, you know, quite literally. Again, you see there the Undertaker in the territory of a petulant child just shoving Triple H. He's in a tantrum. He's marrying because he's not getting his own way. And he's marrying because he's now having to confront the fact that maybe the streak isn't what he thought it was coming out of those two matches against Shawn Michaels. That maybe the confidence he felt in the matches against Shawn Michaels is hubris, is arrogance. That the grand achievement that is the streak the streak that consumed even Mr. WrestleMania actually isn't all that it was caked up to be. And look at the two of them now dragging themselves. Some people may find this imagery a little heavy-handed. I guess I could acquiesce to that, but I find it intensely dramatic. The two of them pulling themselves up across opposite ends of the ring, having tested themselves. Triple H, the the war-torn, the war-grizzled veteran. And again, even now, has the advantage, a second pedigree on The Undertaker, and Triple H goes for the cover. Again, he has that advantage, and again, it's because of the streak The Undertaker's able to kick out. That's We're now in the final third of this match, and what you're seeing is a war of attrition. A war of attrition between what I said at the start, between the absence of conscience of Triple H, making him less than human, and the augmentation of the streak making The Undertaker more than human. The streak keeps going, and as far as it keeps going, Triple H is willing to go even further. That's the fascinating dichotomy about this entire scenario here. That's what makes this such a compelling and transfixing transfixing match and to my mind the best match in the entire tetralogy of streak matches across these uh, four Wrestlemanias here and now you can see the grimace the anger on Triple H's face anger not just at The Undertaker's tenacity but at the fact he's being driven to do more and more blood curdling acts the fact that the streak is driving him to become even less than human than he started out at, that he is being asked to absolve himself, to castrate himself of even his worst version, you know, of even the, the finalest dregs of... of the, the, the last dregs of conscience he may have had, he's being, he's being asked to become something that even he finds abhorrent. And that is really, really bone-chilling to consider. Think about everything Triple H has done, the character over the course of his arc, over the years, everything he's done to accrue power, everything he's done to maintain power, everything he's done to try and undercut those, gaining enough power to challenge him. And here he is, because of what the streak is able to achieve, a superhuman feat in itself being asked to become something even he fears. And look at him, he's almost recoiling crawling away from what the streak is capable of it's so cinematic and then he crawls right into the arms of a chair and now you could see his own body language unsurely picking at the chair 
asking himself, what you know, what do I have to do here? Am I capable of doing this? Triple H asking himself if he's capable of doing something. I mean, that's a frightening idea. He has to pull himself up with the ropes, use the chair as much as a prop. Look at him, he's still asking himself, can I do this? And he wails at The Undertaker. And this is a prelude of what to, is to come the next year. And the body language of Triple H is so important because of what we're going to see at WrestleMania 28. Again, you have all of these stories interlocking, interweaving. This is a journey. This is a heart of darkness-like journey for Triple H. This is apocalypse now for Triple H. Going to try and not talk over the Cerebral Assassin. Screaming, stay down at The Undertaker. And he's screaming, at stay down at The Undertaker. Not for the usual reasons a wrestler does. Not because of frustration or anger. But because, and not even because of sympathy for The Undertaker. He's doing it because he doesn't want to be driven into becoming what the streak is driving him to become. It's fascinating in a way that the streak augments The Undertaker here. But in a way it's augmenting Triple H as well. And if you think of the streak as this means by which... Uh, someone's natural traits are amplified, then in the case of Triple H, his bloodthirstiness, his cruelty is being amplified, and it seems to be frightening him. It's almost as if the streak is leaving the body of The Undertaker now and possessing Triple H. I mean, it's a fascinating story to consider on that fantastical... that fantastical edge. Look, he, he almost feels sick. Triple H is almost nauseous at this, at the necessity of what he's having to become. Note as well the mastery in which they're allowing the crowd to work themselves up into a frenzy here. Again, telling story through stillness is something very few would be able to achieve. Many would say these don't, but I think they do. The Undertaker, the streak still still compelling him to pull himself up. It's as if the Undertaker's own mind has left his body now, and all that is left, all that is left is the streak kind of just uh, sort of possessing this empty carcass and, and sort of moving it around like an empty shell. And look at that imagery there. Triple H, knees bent, in the corner, head bowed. Look at the anguish on his face. He's wrestling with what he has to become here. He's wrestling with what he is becoming. Right now in Triple H's mind, there is a conversation going on that none of the rest of us can hear. Do I do what I need to do? Can I be this? Can I survive being this? Am I capable of more than I ever thought I was capable of? And look at that. I mean, just the, the rigidity of The Undertaker's body. You know, the fact that it's that it's that it's awkward, the awkward gait of it. He can't sit up like we normally see. He's trying to sit up, but he can't do it like it's an instinct that's driving him. And Triple H is watching it. Triple H watching it, sort of thinking, this is ridiculous now. Look at how the power has shifted imperceptibly in this match. And look at how the hubristic nature of The Undertaker, who entered this match saying, this is ridiculous, has now shifted to Triple H, who now says... This is ridiculous. Shouting, stay down at, at The Undertaker so he doesn't have to become what he needs to become, what he knows he will become. So much subtext to pick apart here. I don't even... I'm going to leave so much on the table. I can hear what you're thinking, your doubts and fears. The stillness telling the story again. 
And look at look at how demeaning an image of that is for the mighty Undertaker to be on all fours. And then this. This. Now, there was a similar moment. I can't remember whether it was 26 or 20, 25, where the Undertaker grabbed Sean by the neck, rose and delivered a choke slam. And here, look at this. Grabs Triple H by the neck. Triple H shakes his head, bats the arm away, grabs the Undertaker by the head. The Undertaker has nothing left at all. He is a carcass, an empty carcass. But the streak is propelling him on still. The streak is compelling him still. He isn't in control of his own actions. And Triple H cuts his throat. The Undertaker swings. Triple H with a tombstone. There's a very important moment about to happen here. Again, you have that perversion. That perversion of what we normally see as it's Triple H. As it's the Undertaker suffering a tombstone. Triple H delivers it. He does even the signature. A perversion of an image earlier in the match. The Undertaker kicks out. Triple H crawls away in fear because the streak is still alive. And there it is. There's the image. You remember me telling you to remember that image in the last two matches? The Undertaker sprawled across the bottom rope in disbelief. Well, there is the hark back. There is the symmetry. There is the mirror image. There is the perversion of what we've seen before. Everything about this match plays so consciously on what's become. Is a story evolving out of what's come before it. Is is preempting what's going to come the following year. This match is performance, art, magnificence. I adore it. Everything we normally see The Undertaker do is now being done by Triple H. The streak is on its final legs. The hubris that The Undertaker came into this match with has proven to be his undoing. That surefire thing that Triple H pitied us for, looking around us at the start of the match, that has now come to fruition. Everything he knew was going to happen is happening. Everything the streak told The Undertaker to be to be dismissive of is happening the streak this is an this is a this is almost an exorcism for the undertaker this is a spiritual journey for the undertaker a spiritual experience and look at that i mean the undertaker is crawling backwards the undertaker is crawling away in fear the streak is now is now the i mean the undertaker has nothing left there is only the streak in the undertaker's body and it is retreating it is retreating, it's begging off, it's clutching at the ring apron, it's trying to escape, and Triple H is dragging it by the foot towards its own execution. That is such a cold, goosebump, bone-chilling image to have. And Triple H now pulled into the Hell's Gate. The one thing that I missed was Triple H grabbing the sledgehammer, almost embracing his worst self, knowing now what he has to do to end this. At the Hell's Gate, and this alone is a dramatic moment because what you're going to see is is Triple H fighting and grasping and fighting. The streak is literally on its back, fighting for survival. This is a last breath, a last gasp from the streak to survive this 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 ordeal, which really is the only word for it. Triple H fading. The streak is tenacious because it knows this is the moment of decision. This will decide whether it lives or dies. And Triple H, look. Triple H has something left. Triple H has something left. But no, he falls to his knees. The air leaving him. Listen to the screams of the streak. Yelling out. 
desperate, on the verge of tears, because it knows that if this doesn't work, then it's dead. It's this or death, and it chooses this. Triple H with one last grasp of the sledgehammer, but he drops it. It's so dramatic. And 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 watch in a second. Con- Triple H convulsing like the last dregs of his life escaping him. The streak still clutching on. The tide turning desperately. And look at that. Triple H with one desperate last grasp at the streak. One last touch of the, of the certain victory that was in his hands. But somehow, even now, the phenomenal power of the streak, as much as it was on its final legs, as much as that was a last, das- last ditch gasp of of desperate breath for the street to survive, somehow it managed it. Somehow it managed it. Now remember again, the music normally that was playing on the night was Ain't No Grave. Ain't No Grave gonna hold me down. A stark, contrasting image to what we're now seeing. And again, the stillness tells the story. They are telling more story in that one image by not moving than could be told in a hundred moves. And watch this. You think about that theme of perversion. You think about that theme of hubristic arrogance, of vanity. Normally, you see The Undertaker on one knee doing the pause, 19 and 0, the the fireworks going off. But what you see there is bone chilling, because it's a perversion. Yes, the fireworks are going off. It's a moment of celebration. It's a moment of victory. But the Undertaker, the streak, is on its back, not moving, alive, but utterly defeated. That image of the fireworks going off, but the Undertaker lying as if beaten and broken on the canvas, that's one of the most powerful images in this entire match. Now the story is still going on, even though we're now in the post-match part of it. This is what makes this such a performance art masterpiece, because we're not even done yet. You know, I keep saying it, the stillness tells tells the story. Uh, you know, there's, there's I can't remember what the exact quote is, but there's a famous quote by the, the old British general, the Duke of Wellington, after the Battle of Waterloo. And I can't remember what it is exactly, but it goes along the lines of the next worst thing to a battle lost is a battle won. And you're seeing that here. Just the carnage, the aftermath of what this war took. The streak survived, but at what cost did it survive? Because look, it isn't the streak that's moving. It's Triple H. At Triple H, you know, he didn't have the augmentation of the streak. He didn't have the augmentation of Mr. WrestleMania. What he had was the absence of conscience and the lust for power that has defined his journey in WWE. That made him less than human. That made him an animal. And that animal proved capable of killing the streak. I've said from the start of this podcast that this was the match in which yes okay fair enough the streak didn't end at wrestlemania 27 except the streak was undoubtedly beaten at wrestlemania 27 because you're seeing why here because the perverted imagery that this match has functioned upon the whole way through is continuing even now Again, you think about Triple H's side. 
you know, you've got this this war scar general. Uh, you know, he's clutching his arm. There's blood on his nose. There's spittle on his chin. This is a general emerging from the blood and filth of a battle. So much of this, the effectiveness of this match rests on imagery, rests on uh, on symbolism, as well as the symmetry it has with the matches that come before it, and the symmetry that we'll see it has uh, with the match that's still to follow. Because, folks, we aren't even at the end of this journey yet. That's the crazy thing. We ain't even at the end of this journey yet. We've been through 25, 26, 27. The Tetralogy really is an achievement unto itself. You know, the Doc talks about the streak within the streak all the time. Doc, if you're listening, I think you're going to like this because, if anything, what I've come to name the Tetralogy, that's the streak within the streak within the streak. I think the Tetralogy is probably an easier name to use, though, so... But before one, if you're going to copyright the streak within the streak, Doc, I'm copywriting the Tetralogy. You can rest assured about that because it's such a, a magnificent piece of performance art. You know, the story, by the way, is still going on here. I hope you haven't turned off the, the network yet because, you know, every second that we watch Triple H walk out on his by his own volition and every second we see The Undertaker crawling. And look at that. I mean, even now Triple H is performing because he's stopping and he's looking at this carcass. And this is an important moment for what we'll see unfold with the story the following year at WrestleMania 28. Because what you're about to see is The Undertaker... Look, he's he's like... The streak has left him now. The streak's done its job and all that's left is The Undertaker's body desperately trying to move... You know that scene at the at the back end of the Yokozuna match at, at the Royal Rumble 93 where his spirit lifts into the heavens? It's like after this match, after it survived, the streak went wherever it normally goes. And the reason The Undertaker didn't move for so long after the fact is because he didn't have the streak pushing him on anymore. And you saw there The Undertaker collapse to his knees on the floor and Triple H kind of make a move towards him in a last sort of last ember of conscience. But he didn't help. And that's the key moment. He moved towards him, but he didn't help. That's the key moment that's going to be all important for WrestleMania 28 that we're going to watch after this con- this story concludes because it's still going on. And now the music drifts away. The celebration is over. And all you're left is the silent cripple. The s- sorry, I'll rephrase that. The silence of the beaten cripple. Of the victim after after the war. The veteran with his body bruised and scarred and beaten, unable to stand. When was the last time you saw The Undertaker left unable to stand? And all this done by one man. That's the thing. There's no shenanigans, no supernatural powers, no augmentation. This was done because of Triple H. Because of a man. A man left the streak. In this state. A man who became less than a man to do it. Keep watching folks. Because there's one last moment of symbolism and imagery still to come. And here it comes. The stretcher. Now you're probably thinking. We've seen a hundred wrestlers stretched out a hundred times. And the likelihood is. The reason that that's a a little mobile thing on wheels. Is because of the, the, the entranceway and stuff. But note the shape of it. It's perfect. They sit the Undertaker up. They have to pull him up. This body that is that's had its volition robbed of it. 
and the Liam on it. An undignified exit for the streak at WrestleMania on the back of a vehicle that looks rather like a hearse. Chance of the Undertaker ring out like the the wailing of a widow. And the Undertaker is driven out on the back of his little hearse. Beaten, victorious, but defeated in victory. And we can just about end it there. End, end that part there, folks. I can't talk. I think that that match is, is just utterly magnificent. I think it really is quite superb. A performance art masterpiece of the utmost kind. And I hope that that real-time watch-along has demonstrated why. But we aren't even finished. We're only halfway through this podcast. So I'm going to take us now to a little bit of an advert break. And when we come back, we will sit down and we will conclude this journey through the Tetralogy with a look, a real-time watch-along, performance art-inspired view of the WrestleMania 28 Hell in a Cell match between Triple H and The Undertaker as refereed by Shawn Michaels. Back after this. As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Act Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Okay, guys, welcome back to the show. Hope you're still with me. Hope you're still having a good time. I hope you enjoyed that little watch of WrestleMania 27. The key thing about the match at WrestleMania 27, part three of this tetralogy, uh, is that it's a traumatic experience. A traumatic experience for The Undertaker, a traumatic experience uh, for Triple H, both. The Undertaker having to confront he's not everything that he thought he was, or rather the streak isn't everything he thought it was. And Triple H having to confront the fact that he can be more than he ever thought he was in terms of his most malicious self. This brings us now to the final chapter. The concluding part that brings together all these themes of vanity, these themes of of, uh, mortality, these themes that we've been exploring through uh, throughout these three matches so far, this idea of a personal reckoning first for Sean, then for the Undertaker. And I mean, first of all, there's no uh, oddly, I have to say, there's no pre-match hype package for this end of an era match. Uh, so, with that being said, uh, I currently have WrestleMania 28 queued up on the network. I am at time index 58 minutes, 36 seconds, and I'll give you a couple of seconds to fire up the show, get yourself to that time index, then uh, when you've got yourself there, I will count us down uh, on the word go. Okay, so five, four, three, two, one, and go. And if you've got it on point, then Shawn Michaels should already be making his way to the ring with that familiar music. And 
While these entrances are going on, the first thing that I really want to sort of sit and talk about with you guys with this particular uh, final chapter is the symbolism of the setting. So you have this notion of hell in a cell, these three men trapped inside a cell. And I see that in this final chapter of this tetralogy, which is so heavy on, uh, you know, the symbolism and so heavy on the uh, the, the sort of the, the visual metaphor uh, of all of the window dressing as well as the match itself. That cell is, to me, a symbol of each one of these individuals basically being trapped inside a pr- sort of a prison of their own mental states coming out of the traumatic experiences of the preceding three years. For Triple H and The Undertaker specifically coming out of that traumatic experience of WrestleMania 27. So in the case of, of Triple H, here's a man who is trapped in the merciless mindset he ended last year in, uh, the preceding year in, walking away from helping The Undertaker in that final sort of post-match moment that I talked about a few minutes ago, where The Undertaker falls to his ease, Triple H sort of goes to move towards him, but decides not to and walks out, um, sort of castrating himself of sympathy even in the last. Uh, as well as the merciless mindset he's trapped in after having grabbed the sledgehammer in itself a symbolic moment of Triple H basically acquiescing to the most vicious, most violent, most uh, m- most malicious version of, his, uh, of himself. Um, for The Undertaker, he's trapped in the broken mindset of his out-of-control vanity having been utterly shattered the preceding year of him being forced to confront the truth that the streak is actually a pretty mortal achievement, that he is like Ozymandias and his achievement could stretch before him like the sand of a desert that he has to face the fact he is as mortal as his enemies. And for Shawn Michaels here, the special referee who you could see um, in the ring there, and Sean is is sort of, and it's it's less pronounced here in his body language, but certainly in the 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 segments leading up to this match, you get the impression that Sean was very much trapped by the ghosts of his defeats at consecutive WrestleManias, and how the dregs of that obsession about ending the streak still remain with him. And here he is in that kind of celebratory mood, positioned perfectly to end the streak after all. This time, obviously, is the special guest referee. Uh, he could call the match, and we'll see that come into play, of course, during the match itself. And now Triple H enters. And the first thing uh, I think it's worth saying, I mean, I will say from the off that for this one, the the entrances are much less metaphorical than they were at WrestleMania 27. That's why I think that WrestleMania 27 is the, you know, the peak. Though, again, it's it's interesting how you see a bit of a, a, bit of a flip here, because... Triple H has shed himself of that psychological warfare he started off his entrance with the preceding year. It's the typical Triple H entrance here. One wonders whether that's because he is as confident this year as The Undertaker is the year before. Uh, You know, whether his own confidence that saw him shatter the streaks mythology, mythos, the preceding year, uh, whether that has now grown into vanity for him, whether he's now following in the footsteps of Sean and Undertaker himself. Um, though he does come through that little entrance, you know, that's set up there with the, the gaping mouth, billowing smoke, like walking as if through the gates of hell. One wonders whether it's a symbol. Maybe he's walking not through the gates of hell into the Undertaker's own domain. Obviously, Triple H and the Undertaker both synonymous with hell in a cell. Triple H succeeding there because of his barbarity. The Undertaker succeeding there because hell is his domain. 
interesting ideas, less pronounced, like I said, than at WrestleMania 27. And I think the energy with which Triple H entered there, you know, he doesn't stop and pause as long as he normally does. He he doesn't uh, either at the top or bottom of the ramp. He doesn't stay on the apron for as long as he sometimes does. This is a man who is broiling with energy from the very beginning. And, and you get the sense what we see in this match is a much more violent version and a less apologetic version of Triple H than the year before. You really get a sense, watching these back-to-back, that Triple H has evolved as a character and become worse as a human being through that evolution. And indeed, just the just the way he holds himself here, the, the sort of the body language, the... The, uh, the the visual expression, there's something much more old school about this Triple H compared to the year before. I'm not sure what it is, can't quite put my finger on it. But it feels a lot more early 2000s Triple H than late 2000s Triple H. And I think that plays very much to the benefit of the match. I could have easily seen this match actually happening in 2003, stylistically, for Triple H. Um... <laughs> And you see a little, see that then? There was a li- just a little exchange there between Triple H and Sean. And there was a lot of intrigue going into this one about whether DX would screw The Undertaker or not. I mean, look at that visual there. The outdoor arena, pitch black darkness. The gong sounding, the lights flashing. Typical stuff from The Undertaker here. And much like last year, you know, there's no druids, there's no sort of, uh, you know, greater window dressing uh, to this entrance. Uh, but that's thing. I think not because of the hubris of the preceding year. Indeed, I think it's because of the humbling he received the previous year. You get a sense that this is a stripped-down Undertaker more than it is an arrogant Undertaker. That the simplicity of the entrance is because of that. Um, you know, he's got the executioner's hood again, uh, but I don't think that that is necessarily the message that it was at WrestleMania 26. Maybe one wonders whether it is... I'm not sure what it is, actually, and I'd, I'd, I'd be int- I'm not sure how to read that. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. So if you have any thoughts on what The Undertaker's garb at 28 could mean, I'd be interested in hearing that. Of course, we know that he's hiding underneath that hood uh, the uh, the the new haircut we'd seen in the video packages him cutting his hair, and this was the first year that he would have the mohawk. Just gonna let the Undertaker make his way to the ring here, while I have a sip of tea, and then uh, just keep an eye out for when he takes the hood off in the ring. Is all I will say. I mean, it's interesting. Triple H is jumping up and down on the spot. I will say that, you know, it's it's not. You you get the sense that this is not. Uh, this is a Triple H who maybe even isn't taking this situation as seriously as he took it the preceding year. That that and again that that plays into this notion that like Sean, like the Undertaker. Triple H is now the one going into this with vanity. Triple H is the one whose confidence is, has outgrown himself, has gotten ahead of himself, is the one who's sort of fixated on this notion of ending the streak, which is becoming, ironically to him, the same kind of Ozymandian accomplishment that the streak itself had become for The Undertaker just the year before. (laughs) 
I mean, that's a great image as well. Sean and Triple H, you know, Sean just over his shoulder in the, in the background. Both of them kind of looking with their game faces on. The crazy thing is, this has been going for five minutes already. We've still got to get the Hell in the Cells entrance. It's an interesting visual seeing the Undertaker with that hood over his eyes, almost as if he's been blinded by the efforts of, of Triple H the preceding year, as if he's having to learn how to see the world again through fresh eyes because of the way that his vanity had seen him so fall so far the year before. This is the moment. Now, what's interesting about that is that Triple H takes a step back. The thunder, the, you know, you hear the, the clap of thunder. Uh, people kind of have mocked that at the time, but I think it's an important moment because what it does is disrupt the status quo that Triple H expected. What that does is silently inform Triple H that this Undertaker has learnt a lesson from the preceding year and that completely changes the face of this game. But the vanity overcomes Triple H's... Um, apparent momentary caution and he steps right back up to the Undertaker again and now look at him. It's interesting that in the same way the Undertaker seemed panicked the preceding year, Triple H almost seems like that little moment from the Undertaker with the shaved head, the reveal, has kind of disrupted Triple H to the point where now he's kind of talking trash, trying to get into the Undertaker's head. Is that bred by the vanity? Is it bred by panic? Again, there's multiple ways to read that. Now, of course, the cell comes down, the dramatic look-up. It is a little bit much, this bit, I think. But pay attention to the lyrics of the chosen song, but the memory remains. I spoke at the top about the metaphor of the cell itself being representative of the kind of the, the, the cycle that these men were currently trapped in, of this of, of uh, confidence becoming uh, vanity over time. Um... Confidence becoming certainty, becoming vanity. They're trapped in this cycle, they're trapped in their mindsets, and the memory remains for Shawn Michaels of what happened at WrestleMania 25 and 26. The memory remains for Triple H and The Undertaker for what happened at WrestleMania 27, and the memory of this match will remain for all three of them as well. What you witness here is essentially two, three men even exercising the ghosts of the preceding three years. And then they are inside the confines of the cell of a hell of their own making. No, um, no messing around straight into the heavy duty blows. And unlike last year, look, suddenly Triple H is the one in the place that The Undertaker had been the year before. 
so again, immediately, you know, that the if if twenty seven was a perversion of of what we normally see from the Undertaker WrestleMania, then this is again flipped the script in its own right. We're at the point now where we get where we're getting inversions to inversions of the images we'd seen in the preceding years. Because again, you know, the the, the that idea of vanity, Triple H had the 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 notion that it's okay for him to take his eye off the ball even for a second. He walked away, looked at Sean, and it got the better of him. Sorry, the Undertaker got the better of him. This is going to be... I'm going to confess to you folks, it's going to be a tricky match to comment on because one of the the interesting things about this one stylistically is the um, the paired-back simplicity of it. One of the things that I admire about this Hell in a Cell, one of the ways that I think it shows how a Hell in a Cell can operate in a PG environment, is that it's not so much about the aesthetic as Hell in a Cells historically tend to be as a genre, it's about the tone of it. It feels claustrophobic. It feels punishing just watching the match. You know, you can almost feel the physical n- nausea of the experience that these two men go through in this match. And I think that that, that sense of, of uh, tonal brutality is, some, is one way to really rekindle the magic of this tired, worn-out genre in the current environment where you can't quite get as violent with the, with the aesthetic. Um, and they do that largely through keeping it simple. Through keeping it as a brawl. It's a slower paced match again, you know, like the preceding year. They uh they take it slower. But one wonders at least on the part of the Undertaker after having had that traumatic experience the year before whether it's maybe it's a sense of caution. Maybe this is an Undertaker who doesn't want to um overplay his hand. You know, I think that the the immediacy of because before the WrestleMania 27 chapter uh, grinds into that really kind of slow meat grinder type pace at the end, it starts off with with a degree of urgency. It starts off with a lot of immediacy, uh, and I think that that again bears fruit because of the certainty of Triple H that in this instance has become vanity, but on the Undertaker's part, the vanity of of not of of disregarding Triple H's chances you know so it makes sense that it would be slower this time around and there right there the undertaker shoving Shawn michaels away this is a hostile environment this is a hostile match not necessarily an ultra violent match though it does become to get begin to get ultra violent but it's a very hostile match and what's interesting is the notion of uh, inevitability you know this idea that the undertaker is is you know leaving himself just enough rope to hang himself with by antagonizing Shawn Michaels. Uh, one wonders whether that is that a mind game or is it in fact just the the territory that these three men are now in, considering, like I said, the fact that they are so, uh, so punishingly trapped in the horrific cycle um, of, of confidence to certainty to vanity and the sense of obsessing over an achievement that 
makes them forget how mortal their own condition is. And, you know, the Undertaker antagonizing Sean like that threatens to see the entire situation just crumble around all three of them. Uh, you know, tempting Sean to do something that I think he would regret, tempting the Undertaker, tempting Sean to do something the Undertaker would definitely regret, and I think even tempting Sean to do something Triple H would regret as well. You know, Triple H here, he hasn't become as obsessive over it as Sean was at WrestleMania 26, because lest we forget, I mean, that's interesting there, just to diverge for a moment, the fact that The Undertaker no-sold. You have this idea, as I said earlier, The Undertaker learning to see the world anew again, learning the the limitations of the streak, and sort of the streak kind of gaining new footing, gaining a sense of of rekindled confidence from that that maybe is empowering it even more than it ever had been before it's 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 we're in we're in that that same territory of wrestling fantasy again but it's an interesting notion to consider um but as i was as i was saying a few moments before that um you know triple h here is chasing something not as obsessively as sean because the undertaker was the one who instigated the challenge for this particular match but is a man who over the course of the build to this match has begun to get uh, kind of uh, embroiled in that enrapturing idea of being the one to end it, being the one to tear down, um, tear down the streak, which is in and of itself, uh, you know, as grandiose an achievement as building the streak was. Um, and of course, as we know, it comes to be the undoing of Triple H in the same way it comes. It went on to be the undoing of Sean. It was almost the undoing of the Undertaker the year before. It's also interesting to note that Triple H hasn't had any advantage yet. We're a good five, six, seven minutes into this match, and Triple H has been pretty much on the back foot from the start. This is a rejuvenated, streak-empowered Undertaker who has learned the lessons of WrestleMania 27, is not pratting around, is aware of the danger presented by Triple H, and is trying to keep things in the territory that Triple H led them into the preceding year through his uh, through his dangerous capacity as a competitor. How fitting that 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 territory should now be threatening to become the undoing of the game. You can hear Michael Cole on commentary, the Undertaker, telling HBK in the build to this match that it had to remain pure. And that comes back to the idea that I had earlier of this being uh, an exorcism of sorts uh, for uh, the three of them, that if it isn't kept, quote-unquote, pure... Again, as I was saying earlier, that if Sean screws The Undertaker, then they may be trapped inside this Hell in a Cell forever, figuratively speaking, because they'll never know for certain what the outcome would have been if it had been kept pure, what the outcome would have been if they truly tested... The the if they truly stress tested the uh, the full extent of what the streak was capable of with withstanding the full extent of what Triple H was capable of in a weird kind of way I've called it an exorcism maybe that's the wrong word maybe this is a journey of self discovery an intentional one you know I referred to WrestleMania 27's match as kind of a a heart of darkness journey that they that they stumble into that because the the situation just gets out of control this is them voluntarily jumping on the boat 
that that sails through Vietnam to find Colonel Kurtz. This is a voluntary journey into the heart of darkness. This is them, as I said, stress testing the true extent of what they are capable of as human beings. So in it, from a thematic point of view, you have this idea at the heart of all of this brutal action that we're seeing unfold in front of us. Uh, you know, mortality being a theme, that they're testing their own mortality, that this has gone, you know, as much as it's sort of about the vanity of chasing these elusive achievements that really, when you boil it down to, to the truth, don't really mean all that much in the long run. It's just as much about them, you know, learning, having learnt last year that they are deeply human, the Undertaker, because of his vulnerability, Triple H, because of his his dark, his animalistic capability. Um, and that they're, they're, they're testing the extent of that mortality now it, it this is a match that is that is still in that area of wrestling fantasy but has been pulled down from the heights of wrestlemania twenty seven or rather should i say picks up in the gutter wrestlemania twenty seven ended in i think that's the best way to see it Is this, I wonder... I mean, there's an interesting moment there. Triple H spine-bustering The Undertaker onto the steel steps in a moment that kind of reflects that that uh, that moment early on in the WrestleMania 27 match, which is then followed up with another mirror of WrestleMania 27 with the sort of the Hell's Gate out of nowhere, and Triple H is going to be fully aware of the the danger that puts him in after this was the decisive move the preceding year. And Triple H with incredible strength. Incredible strength. Demonstrating there in that one counter the entire story of WrestleMania 27, which was Triple H is as much of a threat to the streak as the streak has been a threat to everyone who came before him at WrestleMania. Um, Brutal looking spine buster there. And this is where the momentum starts to shift. The first act of this entire match has been all Undertaker. In the same way that kind of, you know, Triple H got that advantage early in WrestleMania 27's uh, encounter and sort of pretty much maintained it for the duration. It's it's again an interesting inversion of a preceding chapter that we'd seen uh, in, in the year before. So again, you get these, these, these links between the matches in subtext. These links in... Uh, on a conceptual level, that I believe links them all together to turn this into a single overarching story, and I hope you can see these threads, kind of how they, how the the, the themes all tie together, how they lead onto one another, and why I see this as a four-part story rather than four stories that just happen to be similar. I think it's fitting as well. You know, the the WrestleMania 27 match was brutal. This one more obviously violent. Uh, and I think that that's suitable because it feels like that's what's needed to bring this cycle to an end. You know, it's that famous quote from The Dark Knight about the night is darkest just before the dawn. You know, they sink deeper so that they can ri- sink deeper than they've ever been so that coming out of the cell they're able to rise higher than they were before for having learnt these brutal, horrible stress lessons that they're learning through the course of the preceding three matches, but in particular through this absolutely torturous... This is a torture chamber of a match.
And this is where we start to see now the emergence of the character that Triple H, you know, that worst version of himself he embraced at the end of WrestleMania 27. No, no hesitancy, no remorse. There's no stay down here. There's no conversation we can't hear with head bowed in the in the corner. There's just Triple H wanting to destroy the Undertaker, testing the extent of the animalism that he's capable of. And now you hear, I wanted to pause there so you could hear what they were saying. Triple H saying, you want it done, end it. That's the maliciousness that Triple H is trapped by right now. That there's that the streak has brought out of him and that has 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 come to define him in this environment. Not only does he want to break the streak, he wants Sean to do it. He wants to beat the Undertaker and he wants to beat Sean at the same time. Triple H isn't making any attempt to cover him. He wants to end the streak, thereby embarrassing the Undertaker, and he wants Sean to, to screw the Undertaker in doing it beating The Undertaker twice and beating Sean into doing something Sean, browbeating Sean to do something Sean obviously doesn't want to do. And The Undertaker telling Sean not to end it, you get a sense he needs this to be done. You know, that the, the, he's trapped by the haunting memory of the preceding year. He needs to know whether Triple H is the man that's going to kill the streak or he needs to know if once and for all the streak is capable of surviving, capable of properly defeating, of comprehensively defeating this barbarian. That's what it's about. You know, that that comes back to the idea I said about WrestleMania 27, about yes, The Undertaker won, the streak was was intact coming out of it, but really it had already been been broken. The mythos of it had been broken. This is the streak trying to prove a point, trying to say it really isn't broken after all. And in order to do that, it needs to have a clean result. That's kind of the emotional turmoil that's playing out of the heart. And I find that genuinely to be quite compelling. Not not melodramatic, but quite compelling. And I love the take of Triple H wanting to end the streak, wanting... wanting to beat The Undertaker essentially twice by ending the streak and by doing it in a way that denies The Undertaker the clean result that he wants. And look at that. the under- Triple H grabbing the sledgehammer. Again, no hesitancy. Isn't bothered. There's no... There's no... There's no uh, conflict of conscience. And you heard him say... Try not to talk over them. You You heard him say... You heard him say to Sean, you want to show compassion, well, I'm not. That's how far Triple H has come. Again, he has fully embraced what he was fighting the preceding year. And there's Sean asking Triple H... uh, Sorry, there's Sean asking The Undertaker to let him just ring the bell. He wants to end this, but he wants The Undertaker's mandate to do so and the Undertaker isn't going to give it him so this is as much of a torturous experience for Shawn Michaels mentally as it is physically and mentally for Triple H and the Undertaker and you can see Shawn the desperation you know head in hands Triple H isn't getting desperate though he isn't getting upset he's getting angry again Triple H having embraced what he was fighting the preceding year I mean this is an absolutely vile assault 
by by the game. Excuse me. I'm... And what's interesting here is the conflict in Sean. Sean, like I said, trapped by this notion of still obsessing over the streak, still being in a position to end it. There's there's probably a part of him that wants to end it. Triple H, the cerebral assassin, knows that. He's trying to almost browbeat Sean into doing that, being two men in one go, even if he doesn't realise that's what he's doing. Um, but Sean, as much as he might want to be the one to end it still, still fighting with that, that sense of compassion inside of him and respect that he had demonstrated with The Undertaker at the end of their WrestleMania 26 match. There's so much going on in terms of the emotional depth in this thing. And Triple H in the corner look, not even looking at it. Not even looking at it. It's beneath him. He's getting impatient. He's getting angry. He's above all this. This is a waste of his time. Triple H is in the territory The Undertaker was in last year. And there's the Hell's Gate on Sean. Which... I mean, it's such a morally complex situation because Triple H does that to, uh, you know, to save his friend, but he also does it to end The Undertaker as well. A vile sledgehammer shot to the head. The Undertaker putting Sean in, in Hell's Gate to try and prevent him from from ringing the bell to remove that temptation. And The Undertaker getting desperate. The Undertaker fully embracing his humanity by doing something that we wouldn't have seen him do before with the low blow and then the Hell's Gate. And by the way, again, The Undertaker antagonizing Sean with the Hell's Gate, a moment of survival perhaps, um, but nonetheless an antagonizing one. And look here, look, look at the mirror image you're seeing with the end of the WrestleMania 27 match right here. It's the same situation again, but Triple H, as much as the streak has learned its its lesson, so is Triple H trying to go for the same counter that worked last time. He's got the sledgehammer again. And just like last year, again, that mirror image, just like last year, Triple H fading. But the, the, the what's... I mean, again, it's so complex because in a weird way, you're revisiting the hubristic territory for The Undertaker at WrestleMania 27, which is that, you know, his hubris in 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 demanding this be a clean finish so put Sean in the Hell's Gate, which has now prevented Sean from calling the match and giving The Undertaker the clean finish he wants. So again, you get this essence, this notion that they are trapped... As they're trapped inside the hell in a cell, they're trapped inside the hell of this cycle of events that just keeps repeating, keeps repeating, keeps repeating, and they're having to find a way to break that cycle. I mean, it's such a brilliantly constructed match, this, in in a lot of ways, in terms of the action. I know that the, the melodrama that Sean adds to it may not be for everybody, but I think it's a crucial element when you consider these four matches as a single match. JR saying that The Undertaker's expression on the back of that chokeslam is a look of astonishment. That's a simple, obvious take to make. I wonder how much of it, though, as well, is uh, just a search for, you know, what do I do next? Like, like urgency, immediacy, knowing the importance of being able to prove the point he's here to prove 
choke slamming uh, Charles Robertson as the emotions perhaps get the better of him? Or does he do it to eliminate Charles Robertson to make sure Sean is the referee that calls the decision to bring an end to this endless cycle of events? Triple H staggering to his feet. The Undertaker lifts him up. Switching music. Pedigree. Cycle of events again. But the end can't come because that cycle keeps on turning. The wheel keeps on turning. And look at the anguish in Sean. Sean now in the territory Triple H was in WrestleMania 27, but the image again is literally flipped. Triple H was facing outwards, head bowed. Sean is facing inwards, head raised, head in hands. You know, one wonders whether that's frustration because the Undertaker kicked out. Whether it's anguish because the cycle keeps on turning, they haven't broken it yet, and whether it's perhaps a little bit of self-loathing for surrendering to the temptation of delivering the unclean finish that would haunt him, haunt The Undertaker, and eventually, one would think, even haunt Triple H for days and years and decades to come, maybe even for the rest of their lives. There is so much emotional tumult going on in this match. It's threading all of the images all of the themes, all of the ideas of the preceding three matches all together in what is a horrendous experience for the three men involved. And again, Sean, look, the conscience re-seizing control. You get the idea that Sean is yo-yoing emotionally. Now Triple H, Triple H throws Sean out. Now that he knows Sean surrendered, but is, has come back from that surrender. And look at that. I mean, this is escalating beyond all control at this point. Triple H turning on Shawn Michaels. The Undertaker sitting up. The streak is alive even after all of this, and it frightens Triple H. Triple H is thrown to the floor in fear of of the fact that the streak has survived all of this and suddenly finds a second wind. It's almost as if he's... The streak has realised what's on the line, has has awoken to the threat of this situation, has has decided to reinforce its point and has found an impossible second wind to emerge better for this. Like I said, it's sunk lower than it's ever been and now it's rising higher than it's ever been before. And this is really the undoing of the game here. This is really the undoing of Triple H because there's the tombstone. Sean, who now has been assaulted by Triple H as well, and Triple H kicks out. <laughs> Look at the spit on the Undertaker's chin. The horror. On, I'd say that was horror on the Undertaker's face. The cycle keeps on turning. They remain trapped. And Sean again, back in the same position he was in after he helped Triple H almost end the streak, is the same position he's now in after he almost helped the Undertaker save the streak and deny himself. I mean, these three men are all being torn to and fro, to and fro again, literally trapped inside their own personal hell where the wheel keeps on turning. Triple H petulantly throwing the Undertaker's arm away in the way that the Undertaker was doing Triple H, now tantruming like the Undertaker was at WrestleMania 27, the Undertaker. But look at the streak. Look at how relentless the streak is, as relentless as Triple H was the year before. And Triple H is scarred again like the year before. He's got blood on his face. And look at Sean. The two of them are punching each other, and Sean is resigned in the corner to just let... He doesn't know what to do. He's just letting them beat the tar out of each other. 
They're literally on their knees in the mud and the blood and the gore and the viscera of this fight now. The Undertaker's body is bruised, Triple H's body is bleeding, and it's all they can do to hit each other at the end of this hell. Unadulterated passion, JR says, and I would agree wholeheartedly. This isn't any more about mortality. This isn't any more about achievement. This is... This has become almost petty. It's become almost petty. At this point... Or maybe petty is the wrong word, but at this point, I think they're just desperate to break the cycle that they are trapped in, going over and over and over the same images, the same moves, the same moments, the same emotional anger, the same tug of war, just endlessly repeating itself as it does yet again here. Sean is literally, his body is literally clenching up. At this point, guys, I'm, I'm practically out of things to say. We're, it's now just driving home this, this notion, driving home the point that they are trapped in this cycle of events that keeps on returning, bred by their vanity. I mean, I will say as well, though, of course, that Triple H is, is, is sort of undergoing the kind of horrific... Uh, survival experience that The Undertaker was the year before. The script genuinely has flipped. And look at Sean. Defeated, even though he's not... And still... I mean, that... If you remember back at the end of the WrestleMania 27 match, there was that horrific image of The Undertaker trying to sit up but not being able to. Compare that here. Having learnt the lessons of the preceding year, that vanity stripped away with a kind of accepting realism of its own vulnerabilities. Here it's managed to pace itself, measure itself, retain enough of itself that it's able to actually do what it wasn't able to do at the same point the preceding year and fuel that sit-up. And the two of them clawing for weapons. The crowd clapping them on. And this moment, the Undertaker steps on the sledgehammer. Triple H looks up, and this is the moment. The Undertaker says no. In the same way Triple H shook his head and said no to the Undertaker when he went for a chokeslam the preceding year, if you remember. And there's the chair shots, repeating even scenes from earlier in this very match. As the Undertaker now begins to massacre Triple H... All the pent-up emotions, the vengeance for the preceding year's beating. Vengeance for Triple H refusing to help him after the, after the fact. Sean having to turn away, not daring intervene. As The Undertaker now enters the territory fully and truly. And look at that exchange. The Undertaker, without saying a word, telling Sean to back away. Sean looking away. There are so many cinematic shots in this match. The cinematography is tremendous. And again, WrestleMania 27. Remember The Undertaker pulling himself up at the ropes? Triple H watched. Hit, Triple H watched. Hit that same moment there. Same moment there. But again, the roles reversed. And at this stage, the result is a... Is a, is a foregone conclusion. And again, look, the image from earlier in the night repeating itself. Sean trying to, begging the Undertaker off. The Undertaker throws the chair aside. And still, even now, I mean, I'm exhausted. I don't know about you guys, I'm exhausted. Even now, 
The Undertaker? Is he telling Triple H to stop? Is he telling Sean to stop? Is he just screaming at the at at the world? Is the streak just screaming out for this horror to end? As he literally walks around the ring searching for something, and Triple H still obsessively, like the streak kicking out last year, going for the sledgehammer. And the Undertaker, look, he knows his victory is certain. The streak has succeeded. It has survived. It continues on. It was not per- forever broken the year before as Triple H lifting himself in the corner, fully accepting. He brought this on himself, fully accepting it was his embrace of his worst self that, that made this happen. Clutching the sledgehammer like a safety blanket, a last desperate desperate gasp, and the Undertaker grabs it. And again, just like short, Triple H grabbing his hand when Undertaker had him goozled last year, shaking his head and throwing the arm aside, the Undertaker repeats that very motion with the sledgehammer. And just like Sean slapped him in the face... Triple H gives one last long look at Sean and says, I, I know. I know what's coming. And in an act of defiance, staggers to his end with the same motion that enticed The Undertaker to accept his challenge at WrestleMania 27. So again, you know, mirror images, symmetry. And look at that image great cinematography there as it pans away from a resigned Shawn Michaels who cannot watch a repeat of the end of Wrestlemania 26 because that's what you're seeing, this is the end of Wrestlemania 26 when Shawn crawled his way up The Undertaker history repeats itself even in breaking its repetition just like Wrestlemania 26 slitting his throat Shawn unable to watch this repeat and there's the tombstone a pause and the face pulled and the pose struck that failed to end it at Wrestlemania 27 and with that moment the war ends the hell that they were in trapped in that cycle of events they were trapped in that was getting worse and worse, escalating out of all of control, lifts, literally, as the cell rises, the fog of their self-imposed mental hell, spiritual hell, lifts, and allows them once again, as you see there, to re-enter the world, and the two of them laying side by side, end to end, Sean looking over them both. I mean, read into that what you will. Look at the bruises on the Undertaker's back. The scars of his trauma. And this moment, much like again, WrestleMania 27, the Undertaker fighting to sit up, can't quite manage it. Eyes closed. And resurrected. From the experience, the Undertaker, the streak rises again as Sean poses over his fallen friend, knowing full well his own, in his own self what this kind of obsessive Ozymandian vanity can, can, can bring upon a man. 
that first Sean fell victim to, that second The Undertaker fell victim to, and that third here Triple H fell victim to, entered this with the same vanity that Sean entered it at with 26, that same vanity Undertaker entered at with 27, and just like the two of them before him, Triple H falls to that, is destroyed by that, is defeated by that, and the mirror images continue... As the Undertaker straddle across the bottom rope like Sean at WrestleMania 26, looking up at him, Sean offers his hand as the Undertaker did at WrestleMania 26. The Undertaker accepts it, and they lift themselves. They lift him to his feet. So even now, you have the callbacks. Even now, you have the symbolic imagery, the embrace that they had after WrestleMania 26, repeated here, again, with roles reversed. Triple H lying prone in the position The Undertaker was at the end of WrestleMania 27. And a moment to discuss the tagline end of an era. People mock that again, you know, end of an era, presuming it relates to the Attitude Era or whatnot. I never really read it as that. In line with this reading of the Tetralogy, to me the end of an era was the era of the Tetralogy, of the streak within the streak within the streak, as I said uh, either last week or earlier th- on this show. I, it's been so long I can't remember. But, you know, it, it wasn't itself an era in the lives of these three characters. This this experience that has now lasted four years, you know, was an era to them and this was the end of it. It was about finality. It was about decision. It was about the... It was about the... And there, and there incidentally, retribution... For WrestleMania 27. You remember that image? You know, the pyro going off, but the Undertaker unable to stand to celebrate. This feels particularly elating on the back of having seen that image from WrestleMania 27. Because the Undertaker has survived and again, you know, rises higher than he ever did before. And this is why I've always said... That the uh, that the CM Punk match at WrestleMania 29 is something of an epilogue to the tetralogy, because it deals with themes of uh, of CM Punk trying to hijack the Undertaker's legend. The Undertaker walks through the clasping hands of his defeated opponents as if rising from hell again, rejuvenated, and seeks to reclaim the urn and reclaim. It's a story about identity at WrestleMania 29, and the Undertaker reclaiming his identity after this traumatic experience that pulled it apart that here he has brought to an end. And then the following year at WrestleMania 29, he would reclaim himself. Uh, And of course, then at WrestleMania 30, he would be killed off by Brock Lesnar and resurrected at 31. So you have this kind of staggered story that still, I think, leads into an even wider character arc post-Tetralogy at 29 and 30 and 31, which is something of a trilogy in their own right, though much more loosely so, I think. The music ends. And at this point, you know, there's no point in us really sitting back and still watching the rest of this um, because we know what happens. They, of course, lift Triple H to his feet. They walk to the edge of the ramp and then arm in arm, they look out to the rest of the world and uh, sort of in, an, in something of an embrace, um, they wave goodbye. And it's the end of the story of the Tetralogy, one of the greatest to my mind, stories ever told in a wrestling ring. Certainly one of the greatest pieces of performance art you'll ever see in a wrestling ring. Yes, it's it's excessive. Yes, it operates with 
gluttony to the point of almost self-indulgence at times. It's melodramatic, and some people might call it corny. But if you look past the sports entertainment view of it, if you look past, oh, it's just finisher kickouts, if you look past the kind of slow pace criticisms, if you look past all of that, what you unearth is the 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 inherent potential of what professional wrestling can become the kind of story that it can tell when you take the time to interpret it artistically and to think about the deliberate callbacks to think about the deliberate refrains uh, and sometimes not deliberate callbacks and not deliberate refrains that nonetheless can form a story if you read into those details if you keep character in mind not just the way that WWE presents it but in the way that you've come to know these characters yourself because you'll have your own idea of who these people are and you may have a different reading on what the elements in these two matches mean wrestlemania 27's chapter is one of my favorite matches of all time for the reading that i've shared with you today and the tetralogy as i said the street within the street these four the street within the street within the street these four matches that form a single story it's it's practically wrestling poetry um, in the sense that there are elements to them that rhyme there are elements to them that are inverted that are perverted and I just think it's magnificent. I really, really think it's something special. And I think it's going to be remembered for a very long time to come as being as 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 being on another plane, on another level. And it's not alone. You know, there are other matches that I would put on that same level, but they are very few. I think it's a performance art masterpiece. masterpiece. And if I were to pick one, I think WrestleMania 27 is the best. But really, it's kind of the first among equals, I think you, you're you best saying. But that about wraps it up. That's the story of the Tetralogy. I hope you've enjoyed these watch-alongs this week and the week before. I hope you've gained a, a fresh appreciation of what these matches are about and what this story tells. Uh, and I hope that I've hopefully, in some way, without wanting to sound kind of... Um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of full of myself or anything. You know, I hope it's enhanced the experience of revisiting, revisiting them for you. Um, there are elements to commentary that play into all of this as well that I've had to talk over. So if you ever do get a chance, go and revisit them. Bear all of this in mind while listening to the commentary track because it does add something in its own right. And share with me your thoughts and feelings on the shows, the format of the shows, your th- feelings about my view on the Tetralogy, your own view on the Tetralogy. I'd love to hear it all. You can reach me through various means. On Twitter is the best way, at LOP Plan. But you can also reach me on Facebook, look up Samuel Plan. You can, of course, hit me up on lordsofpain.net. Just drop a comment on any of my columns or podcast posts. Or you can drop me an email if you're old school at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com. Or, of course, you could sign up to LOP Forums, which I would highly encourage you to do. It's the best wrestling community on the internet, and if you are someone who wants to try their hand at writing, you'll find no more creative an environment, creatively free environment, to do just that. So sign up as well to LOP Forums. I look forward to hearing you. In the meantime, that just about wraps us up. Have a good week, guys. Next week, can you believe it's the last week before WrestleMania itself? And I can reveal that I will have at least one, possibly two, exclusive guests on hand to help me with another, a third running two-hour Sports Entertainment is Dead special. The last two-hour Sports Entertainment is Dead special for some time as I do a performance art alternative pre-show breaking down with Sir Sam who's been on the show before. All of the Monday Night Raw matches announced thus far, though I'll be recording ahead of the Go Home Raw, so do please bear that in mind. And hopefully, 
I'm currently trying to convince my good friend Chad the Doc Matthews to join me for the SmackDown side of the alternative pre-show, uh, but we'll see if he can he can make things work or not. If not him, then I'll certainly have someone else on, I hope. So stay tuned for that next week at the usual time on Wednesday. And in the meantime, have a great week. Stay safe, and I will see you next Wednesday.